Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience, featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hi, this is Tom Guinan, and I want to welcome you to the September 20th episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Joining me today is Cheyenne Dunham, and Cheyenne's going to give us an update on what the markets did this week. Okay, Tom, so the December corn contract closed down two cents today at 370 and three quarters, and that was actually up two cents for the week. So if that gives you any idea of how uneventful the markets were this week, I think the corn market is a good representation of that. Switching over to soybeans, November contract closed down 10 and a quarter cent today at 8.82 and three quarters, and that was actually down 16 cents for the week. So we saw some slippage in the soybean market, but a lot of that came today. Okay, thanks for that update, Cheyenne. Um, as you and I've talked, not a whole lot of change this week on the market. Not really any major stories. You know, we kind of talked a little bit earlier in the week about the uh, drone attack in Saudi Arabia, and was that going to necessarily increase ethanol prices? I think in the long run, what we found out is that there's such a glut of ethanol in the U.S. that even when crude oil was rallying there on Monday, ethanol prices were up a couple of cents. So. Not a major impact to the ethanol front, so again, no major impact to the corn side. So we're going to kind of suspend our normal process of going back and forth with some bull bear factors on corn and soybeans, and we're going to just kind of talk about a few of the marketing alternatives that we're talking about for this fall. So the reason we're doing that is we've kind of put together a presentation. We've been out talking to some farmers, and we thought we'd just recap that here on the podcast. So what do we know at this point? We know that on the corn side of things, we're going to have good, maybe not great production. We're going to be somewhere under that 14 billion bushel total production when you look at the numbers from the USDA on acres and yield. That would put us at about the fifth largest crop on record or maybe tied for the fifth largest with their latest numbers. U.S. corn is relatively expensive to other parts of the world and we see other countries exporting more. And we have some decent ending stocks, somewhere above 2 billion bushels at the end of this crop year and more than 2 billion for the end of next year. On the soybean side, we've talked about this a lot, low acres, reduced yields, but we're still going to produce the sixth largest crop on record if the USDA information is correct. Definitely tariffs are impacting our soy exports. We see other countries exporting more all the time. And I keep using this word burdensome when we talk about ending stocks. Something over a billion this year. We do whittle that down to 600 and some million next year, but those are still pretty historically large numbers um, in the scheme of things. So we got to thinking about, so what do you do if you're a farmer and you've got unsold bushels going home or you've got unsold bushels coming to the elevator? And we'll talk about this in kind of two different segments and I'm going to let you kind of tee up the unsold bushels going home and you know what are your thoughts on what a farmer should be looking at. Sure Tom so the biggest reason farmers are going to take those bushels home is because they see higher prices up ahead you know they're looking at that March, May, out to July window, and they're seeing that carry there. So it's worth it to take that corn or soybeans home and put them in a bin. But the important thing there is you can't just look out and see that price increase there. You have to price that grain ahead of time. Don't be looking at that March or that July price and thinking, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna price my grain and haul my grain in 
March or July. I'm just going to wait till then and sell it. Right, right. Yeah. You have to be looking at that price now with plans to price it four to six months ahead of time to lock that in because chances are pretty good by the time we get around to that time frame, that price is going to converge and we're you're not going to be looking any better off than you were, you know, coming into harvest with those bushels. Right. That better price is always going to be four or five, six months exactly. out. It's not going to be out there when you get there. It's going to be four or five, six months out. The way to, to take advantage of that, Carrie, is to actually price the bushels with the plan to haul it at a later date. And you always have to factor in your hauling conditions, your, you know, your bin site. If you have a bin site that you can't access when it's super wet in the spring, maybe that's a good July bin site to be planning for, or, you know, hauling when the ground's frozen, just things like that. You're going to have to factor in there, you know, us at your local elevators, we try to work with you on that. But, you know, the reason our price is so much more appealing during those time frames is because that's when we're going to need that grain to come into the elevator. It's not just because we, you know, look at the books and think, ah, this looks like a better month to pay more for the grain. I mean, that's when we're knowing we're going to be wanting to get some more in there. Okay. And then, you know, to kind of set up this next uh, this next part, um, what we've kind of talked about and we hear from farmers all the time is I've got a lot of unsold grain coming to the elevator. Um, certainly on soybeans, we see that a lot. I just think there hasn't been a lot of opportunities to make sales for new crop. We've got some decent corn purchases on the books and guys are feeling pretty good about some of the corn they've got sold. A lot of them are telling us, I've got a lot of unsold bushels that have to come to the elevator. I really don't want to pay you guys any more storage, but I kind of want to stay in the market. And if you could generate some cash flow, boy, that'd be even better. So with that said, let's kind of jump into a few of these then. The first one we want to talk about is extended price. This is one that's gained some popularity here with Landis the last couple of years. It allows you to sell that cash and get into the futures market, whether that's against the March, the May, or the July futures. There is a four cent fee on that. It's a one-time fee. You're not paying a monthly fee on top of that. So it does avoid that storage cost. You can have a cash advance of 70 percent of the cash price. The thing I like about this is that on corn, your shrink is only down to 15 percent. There's no minimum bushel amount. I like to say you can put three loads on this or you can put 23 loads on this. It's kind of up to what you want to do. And then we'd like to have you look at some offers on that repricing of that. So say you get into this futures contract and let's walk through an example. At the local elevator, it's time to make a decision. Let's say they're paying 340 for corn and July futures are at 390. What you would do is sell that 340 cash get into a futures contract where you're owning it at 390 and then between the time when you enter into that contract and that expiration date, which in this case against the July futures, we're going to say is June 20th, you can reprice that at any point in time. You do have to reprice it at some point. If you decide that if futures started at 390 and they start to rally and we're up around 410, you could say, hey, if we get to 410, just get me out. Leave an offer. Um, you can leave an offer on part of that, half of that, all of that, whatever you want to do. It's a very flexible contract. The thing to keep in mind is that this one is pretty high risk reward profile. And what I mean by that is if the futures rally, you get all of that upside. However, the same is true on the on the downside. If that drops, you take all of that drop. So again, a real high risk reward profile, something that uh, may or may not be appealing to you. If you want to avoid a little bit of that risk, you're going to give up a little bit of that reward. And that's where we start talking about a minimum price contract. It's a little less risky, but also a little less reward. In this one, we do have to do it in 5,000 bushel increments. Again, we're going to shrink that corn down to 15% moisture instead of 14 if you're going on storage. But on this one, you sell the cash and now you're buying a call option. You could buy a call versus the March, the May, or the July futures. There's a two cent per bushel fee and your cash advance equals that minimum price. 
price. So in this one, if the futures rally between the contract date and when you reprice it, your option might gain. Kind of depends on how quickly that rally happens. But in this one, if futures decline between the contract date and the reprice date, your option will decline. It could decline down to where it's worth zero and it's going to expire worthless. And in this example where we started out with 340 cash and the other example, we're going to subtract off the price of buying a 390 call. Let's say that's at 23 cents. You're going to have a two cent fee. So you're going to walk out of the elevator with $3.15 on your cash price. Again, your option's gonna expire on June 20th. You've got all of that time between harvest and June 20th to call up and figure out you know, what's that 390 call I bought worth? Let's say it's worth 35 cents and you say, okay, go ahead and reprice it. You're gonna get a check back for that 35 cents. You're gonna add it to your minimum price. In this example, we use 315. You're gonna be up to a 350 cash price. So you do have some upside potential, but you've limited your losses to that 315 in that example. And again, we would encourage people to use offers on that and tell us what prices, if that option does rally, if futures do rally, and you wanna get out of this certain level and add that back to your cash price. What number are you looking at? We can put it in as an offer or we can just use it as some talking points. The one we're rolling out this year that's a new one to land us is something called the min-max price. A little lower risk-reward profile and the least risk-reward profile of all of these three we've talked about. Again, similar to the minimum price contract, 5,000 bushel increments. You're going to sell that cash price and you're going to buy an at-the-money call, just like before on the minimum price. But this time, we're going to ask you a question of how bullish are you. If you're 50 cent bullish, then there's no sense in buying all of that upside. So what we would suggest is go out and sell an out-of-the-money call for that same month. This one's got a little higher fee because we're dealing with two different options. So there's a three cent fee. And again, your cash advance is going to be your minimum price. Similar to before, if futures rally between your contract date and your reprice date, your options might gain. Depends on how quick that happens. But if futures decline between the contract date and the reprice date, your options will decline in value as well. On this one, there is one caveat. You've got to get out of both sides of that when you're repricing. So let's go back to our example. Let's say that cash price is still at 340. That July call is worth 23 cents and a July 440 call that you're gonna sell is worth a dime. So in this example, we're gonna use that 340, we're gonna subtract off 23 cents, we're gonna add back in the 10 cents that you gained from selling that call, and you're gonna have a three cent service fee. So if I'm doing that math quickly in my head here, um, you're gonna end up with about $3.26 as your minimum price. That's the worst case scenario in this situation, that you're never gonna get worse than 326. You've got until June 20th to price both of those options out, and when you call in and talk to us about that, we're gonna talk about the net value of those two call options, one that you bought, one that you've sold. In that example we walked through before, you spent 13 cents plus your three cent fee. So you've spent 16 cents to get into that contract or into those options. If now in the future they're worth 32 cents, you've gained. If they're worth 14 cents, you've lost. But you're gonna still have the ability to get that back if you do the repricing. So we kind of walk through those kind of quickly. That's something that uh, we would always suggest that before you just call up and say, I wanna do a minimum price contract, you spend some time with a GMA, one of our grain marketing advisors, and really understand the ins and outs, walk through some scenarios, 
those, ask them a bunch of questions, and really understand what you're getting into when you do this. And Tom, we want to reiterate there, we're talking about buying into the board and working with calls and stuff. That's not something you have to do through your broker, right? We offer that here through the cooperative. Correct. The the one thing that we need to talk about every time we talk about any of these three contracts is that is a part of a cash contract. For us to be able to offer these to the farmer, it has to be tied to a cash contract. It's not a speculative move in your uh, brokerage account. You're not paying margin fees. You're not opening up a brokerage account. It is tied to a cash contract that has to have a physical delivery. So good, good call out. I think, you know, all of these are good options for those people who really want to avoid storage because that's always that sticking point with grain that's coming in in the fall. And sometimes grain has to come in in the fall, right? Either you don't have a bin or you don't have enough bins or, I mean, it's okay to bring grain in in the fall, but it's good to have a plan with what you're going to do with it before it comes in. And remember, you know, you have 15 days from the day that first load comes in on a delivery. It's easier to have that plan figured out before that day 15 when we're calling you to have stuff settled. Because some of these contracts, you do have to come in and sign, so we don't want to be, you know, while we're happy to run out to the combine and get some paperwork signed, we would prefer we all just kind of have a plan ahead of time so you can focus on getting that grain out of the field and we can handle the book work here in the office for it. It's really something you need to get the education done before you're sitting in a combine or sitting on a, a tractor and wagon or, or a truck and you're, you're, you're doing what you should be doing at that time of the year. You're harvesting grain, you're getting it to the elevator. Do all the education ahead of time. Let's spend some time learning about them because you're not going to have a time to educate yourself during harvest. It just It's just not going to happen. I appreciate your calling that out as well. At the end of this episode, we're going to have a special segment with Dr. Charles Herberg. He's a professor at Iowa State University, and he spent some time here at the Landis office talking about grain quality and what to expect this fall. We thought that would be good for all of you to hear, so stay tuned for that. Good morning and welcome to this special edition of our Landis Cooperative Experience podcast. This is Alicia Hewen and I am the Director of Communications at Landis Cooperative. And this morning we have with us a special guest, Dr. Charles Herberg from Iowa State University. Can you give us a little self-introduction? I think most of our listeners probably know who you are, but just talk a little bit about your job and what you do. Well, I'm on faculty in agricultural engineering at Iowa State. I've been in extension in the in the grains area. I come from Rockwell City, and, and our farm is is just northwest of town. We're members of Landis, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to help out in doing this. Well, and this morning you spent a little bit of time with our grain operations team and our location managers as everyone's getting ready for harvest, and you had some really good points, and we wanted to make sure that we shared some of those with our growers. So first and foremost, I think the thing that struck everyone this morning during the call was you're anticipating corn to come out of the field drier than maybe what we're all thinking. Can you tell us what you're seeing and, and why you anticipate that? Well, first of all, with all, with the big delays in planting, we had all expected very wet corn this fall and not, not full maturity. The forecast, the long-range weather forecast, is like this, 90 degrees, 85, 90 degrees. That kind of heat is basically going to bring the crop to an end, regardless of where it is relative to its planting date and maturity, which in the end will make the moisture lower, both corn and beans, uh, lower than maybe we might have expected, say, a month ago. You also talked a little bit with the team about uh, soybeans and what you think people will be seeing when they bring those in in foreign material and what the weather has done to impact that. 
Yes, I, I, I think we'll probably have more foreign material in soybeans than we would normally. Just drive around the countryside. There's a lot of late season wheat escapes. Uh, that's because we didn't get canopy. Uh, the roast didn't close over to slow it down, and the Roundup application was early. So I think we're bound to have a little bit more foreign material than normal. So as a cooperative, we have locations in 26 counties, and we obviously bring in grain from lots of different farmers and lots of different fields. And so you're forecasting a lot of variability. Um, what do you recommend growers do in their field-by-field -field variability if they're going to go into storage in their own bins? Well, variability is is difficult to manage in storage so anything to cut it down before it gets there for example uh, if there's a if you have a field that that has varied planting dates and therefore it looks like there's different maturities in the field uh, don't cut through it go around leave the leave the later corn till later if I'm right or should I say if the weather bureau is right about this warm forecast we'll have time to get that dry before it it gets to a frost or anything like that but try to make the grain as even as you can uh, in the field test each hybrid that you have take it to town and get a moisture but also a test weight test weights your good best barometer of storage quality so as they're doing that and they're ready to put it into storage, any tips for them in what the next few months should look like as they keep their grain on farm in storage? Well, we want to get it you want to get it dry as quickly as possible. Recognize that dryers will not even out wide very wide ranges in, in moisture content. It'll drop at all, but there'll still be the the variability. You, you want we want to get it dry as quickly as possible so as to protect as much of the storage time out into the next spring. We also want to get it as cold as we can, uh, as quickly as we can. Uh, the best indicator of how cold you can get the grain is to follow the dew point. Uh, and hopefully we'll get some days uh, in here where we have some low dew points that we can actually get, get temperatures down. Excellent. You also talked a little bit about the difference in storing soybeans and corn and how you compare those two in terms of how you store them based on what their moistures are coming out of the field. Anything this year in particular that people should keep an eye out on? The, the rule of thumb is probably still good. Uh, uh, Corn stores about 2% wetter than soybeans. By that I mean thir like 13% soybeans and 15% corn have about the same storage characteristics. And, uh, and so I don't think, I think that'll probably remain. I think the problem this year will be the variability and actually knowing that we have 15% corn or 13% soybeans in the bin. But that's a kind of a rough rule. It seems to work out pretty well. And an interesting point came up this morning that it seems like that grain is a little harder to store than it was 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Can you talk a little bit about how grain genetics are impacting storability? Yeah, uh, the trend over the last, and for obvious reasons, the growth of the market, most of it, mostly, ethanol mostly, uh, the trend is toward higher and higher yields heading for basically what is might be called racehorse hybrids that are higher and higher yielding and when you make a plant yield more typically they produce less protein and a less quality kernel lower a little bit lower test weight and a lower quality kernel that stores that doesn't store as well excuse me uh, as uh, 
as what we used to have when we may have had eight to eight and a half percent protein where we now have in the sixes. Uh, it's been a natural trend. Nobody tried to do it that way. It was just the trend of, uh, of increasing yield and the ethanol plants didn't complain. So as you've been farming for a long time, <coughs> this is the time to kind of reevaluate your storage program and make sure that you're thinking about it and staying on top of it. That's right. And, and we're, we're, this year will be one where we have a high risk of having problems out into the spring and summer. And with the carryovers we have, we're not going to get rid of them all that quickly. We can only hope on trade negotiations and so forth that will get rid of them. But I think we'll still have quite a bit of grain in storage next summer. Last question, and then I'll open up and kind of have you recap what we've talked about here. So as a Landis Cooperative member and <clears throat> working with our location managers and other elevators around the state, if you were an employee of a cooperative, what would you say to a grower who's bringing grain in this fall? Well, first of all, I would, I would just point out that all the variability that I think we're going to experience as a result of planting dates and, and transition from wet to dry through the growing season, all that variability is going to come to me. And the more you can cut that down before it gets there, the better off we all are because large bins don't handle variability all that well. And so uh, it creates a whole lot more challenges in storage in a 105 than it might in a 10,000 bushel bin. Which is why our team's been spending so much time trying to prepare, determine what grain's going to go where, and we do have some resources available for our customers on our website to let them know what moisture yeah. thresholds we have at which location. So it's good and, insight. And the test weight is probably going to be the best barometer of how well or not so well uh, storage will go. Uh, I don't, I'm not looking for high test weights this year. 54 or 55 pounds is probably kind of going to catch most of it, where in some years we've been close to 60. Uh, at 60 pounds, it's hard to screw it up in storage. Uh, it stores very well. But as you progressively go lower, the storage properties get worse, and that's when the challenges come. Very good. Just in closing, can you give us the top three things that the growers should be thinking about as they get ready to go into the field? Yeah, we're going to have a lot of variability this year, and therefore it will place a premium on identifying which grain might be better and worse for storage and getting it cool and dry quickly. We will not have a lot of leeway to let the storage properties decline in, in, uh, in storage at harvest. What we do at harvest is probably going to be the most important thing to determine whether you as a grower or Landis as a cooperative is going to be successful next spring. Excellent. Dr. Charles Herberg, thank you so much for being with us today on the Landis Cooperative Experience. Thanks again for joining us for the Bull Bear Banter and the Landis Cooperative Experience. We'll talk to you next week.